This is the Banks of the Raritan Podcast, presented by Fans First Sports Network. Welcome to the Banks of the Raritan Podcast here on the Fans First Sports Network. We're back, we're better than ever, and we're excited to be here on a weekly basis giving you all things Rutgers Athletics. There will be an episode released each week with certain special occasions where we might discuss a preview in football or discuss some breaking news that might happen. I know fans out there are hoping that some of that is coming soon. In terms of men's basketball, that's something we'll dive into a little bit later. But as for now, football is right around the corner, and we are going to discuss a lot about the upcoming season to see what Greg Schiano and his squad has. We're joined in this episode a little later by Scott Docterman of The Athletic, a good interview with Scott about Rutgers and its current athletic program. We talk about the football team. Of course, Scott and um, Stuart Mandel of The Athletic released a piece about Rutgers and its current state in the Big Ten with realignment. I know fans were reading that article and had a lot of opinions about it. So we're joined by Scott a little later in the episode to break down his article and the overall state of Rutgers athletics. We return to at a great time because the Rutgers football season opens in less than a month and the college football as a whole opens in about three weeks or so, a little under three weeks from this past Saturday, obviously with week zero being on August 26th, Rutgers will open up the following Sunday against Northwestern. The nationally televised game, Rutgers and Northwestern, I don't know who had that on their bingo card, but it's something for fans to get excited about. A very winnable game and a quarterback under center that fans could get behind. Greg Schiano finally named a quarterback, and I feel like that's the biggest story of the offseason because as anybody who's followed this program knows, that's not something that's happens every year is Greg Schiano naming a quarterback during Big Ten media days. Realistically, this could have been done before, but, you know, time has to go on. Even though it was kind of assumed going into this offseason that Gavin Wimsat would be the starter, they go through spring practices. You see what every quarterback on the roster has. You kind of go through the formalities of all of that. And coming out of spring camp, you you assume that Wimsat's going to be the starter. Shiano kind of said it without saying it, still trying to keep some things close to the vest. But it's very, very encouraging to see him name Wimsat, you know, right before Big Ten media days start because that brings consistency, that brings stability, just an overall plan for the offense. And that's something that I've been harping on on the site for a long time, that this offense needs stability. It needs to have an identity, and it needs to have leaders in place. And it begins with the quarterback position. You know, Rutgers has a lot of question marks, and they're going to play out early in the season. But the major one over the years has been, what are they doing at the quarterback position? And this year, when you look at it, there's more depth than there has been in years. With Wimsad, Evan Simon got his um, experience last season. And then you bring in a a Johnny Shepard, the freshman, who's going to get his feet wet at some point. Even if he doesn't play this year, he's going to be able to be on the sideline, have an earpiece in, listen and see what's going on. And, you know, could be the next man up after Wimsat in a few years. So that's you're building that program, that overlap that you need to be successful. But just name a quarterback. And just seeing that should have fans excited. I know me, I, it was like a breath of fresh air. It's like it's about time 
this guy named a quarterback. And we knew it was going to be Wimsett. Like, it, there was little doubt that he was going to be the guy. But just hearing it and seeing it, and now you can plan for it, it's, it, it really does make a difference in my opinion. It's similar to, you know, when you look at a team like the Mets and the, and the disastrous managers they've had in the past. When you, you know, Luis Rojas, Mickey Calloway, whoever it may be. And they're asked a direct question, oh, who's going to be your opening day starter? And, and they beat around the bush and they won't answer the question. It's like, listen, for the past five years before he signed in Texas, Jacob DeGrom was the opening day starter. You're not giving teams an advantage. You're not hiding anything. You're not, you know, there's no advantage for you by not saying Jacob DeGrom is the opening day starter. If you're Rutgers, there's no advantage by keeping your starting quarterback under wraps. You know, teams aren't going in worried about game planning for X, Y, and Z just yet. Rutgers has so many other issues and so many other question marks to worry about that naming the quarterback isn't going to give Northwestern a significant advantage. It's not going to give your opponents in the future a significant advantage. What it's going to do is show your team, all right, this is our guy. We have stability. We know what we're going to do moving forward. We can game plan with Wimsat at the ones. We could practice now in training camp. We could give Wimsat the confidence that he's going to be the starter moving forward. That's what this program was missing. And last year, which it's hard to talk about last year because it was such a historically bad offensive season, not just for Rutgers, but it felt like in college football as a whole. It, it, you know, it had to do with the play calling. It had to do with the offensive line, um, the lack of consistency at quarterback, injuries, uh, wide receiver, you know, whatever you could say. There were no tight ends that could catch the ball. Whatever you could say. Last year was a historically bad year, but at least Wimsat was able to get his feet wet, um, you know, as a redshirt freshman. Obviously, he came in months after playing in high school competition, ended up playing in a bowl game, came in last year, and now he could finally be the starter this year and take the, the program by the reins. But last year didn't have that consistency, didn't have that feel that this offense was ever going to improve. Aside from Samuel Brown breaking out and becoming the identity that the team needed at times in the backfield, there was really nothing else that this team could do. So it'll be interesting to see how that changes this year. And I think naming Wimsat the starter is the first step in the right direction. Now I'm curious, is this the Kirk Soraka effect? Is this just Shiano kind of going with the obvious? Is it something else? I think Soraka had a hand in this because He's obviously been in the Big Ten. He's worked with young quarterbacks, and he knows how to develop them. And he could be in the ear saying, listen, we're going to start this guy. We're going to try and develop him. He's the most talented quarterback on the roster. He's got the highest ceiling for sure. If he becomes a little more consistent with playing time, works on his accuracy. He's got the arm strength. He's got the physicality. So it's all about getting reps, becoming more accurate, but also becoming smarter, You know, knowing the offense, becoming a little more confident. And that's something that he, Wimsett himself, highlighted during the first day of camp, that he comes in feeling a little more confident than he did in years past. And that's what the starting, you know, nod could do too. You're, you're named the starting quarterback. You're the guy. You're the number one on the depth chart. You don't see an or next to your name. That gives you the confidence. Like, all right, this team believes in me. This coaching staff believes in me. And the fans certainly believe in him. You know, the high, one of the highest recruits ever in Rutgers history. A lot of hype surrounding Wimsett. So it's going to be interesting to see how he plays early in the season. And there's some winnable games early on. You know, you look at Northwestern. You know, you look at Wagner. They got to play Temple early on. Virginia Tech, the Michigan game is mixed in there. They got to go to Ann Arbor. But that's going to be 
Again, a test. That's one of the best teams in the country. Michigan has national title hopes. But there's some games early on that when you look at the Rutgers schedule, they could start out 4-1. and one. And if Wimsack comes in and plays to the best of his potential, there's no reason that they can't be. But week one's going to be a test because you have a, a team that's reeling. You're going to be on your home field, national TV, early start. Rutgers has to win that game, and it comes down to the play of the quarterback. But before we get into all that, it's just so refreshing to see Shiano name a quarterback because with everything that's been going on with this program, the the ups, the downs, the the inconsistencies, the injuries, the the overhaul in the coaching staffs, the, the everything that's going on, bringing Kirk Soraka and naming a quarterback, that's already a step in the right direction from last year. That's already two positives that weren't here last year. And, you know, some may think about it like, well, we knew Wimsat was going to start. Like, that was the obvious choice. Sometimes the obvious doesn't go with Rutgers. you got to remember last year against Boston College, they had three players take the first three snaps of the season, and that was kind of an omen for how things were going to be moving forward. That wasn't the best, uh, the best game plan, obviously. You know, and then Simon got his reps. Wimsat dealt with an injury. He came in when he was healthy. Vedral played here and there, but he dealt with injuries. It was just the whole disastrous quarterback situation kind of set the tone for that offense so it'll be interesting to see if this year they name the guy early so rocket can implement his system and then they go from there to you know a five win season a six win season god willing you know win make a bowl but just getting that decision early and out of the way before camp even he said it before media day like usually shiana you expect maybe a couple weeks into camp or right before the opener it's like, all right, we're going to go with Wimsat. He said it before Big Ten Media Day, so that was the big story coming out of Indianapolis, and it just gave fans a new hope. It gave them something to look at, something to watch, something to look forward to, and it brings stability to a team that really needs it on the offensive side of the ball. One team that has fared well in the Big Ten and is continuing on the trend up, of course, is the Rutgers men's basketball team, whose roster actually just got finalized for the upcoming season with the addition of Austin Williams, the FIU transfer and Jersey native, and Oscar Palmquist surprisingly returning to Rutgers, doing something we really haven't seen from the transfer portal. He he entered the portal, committed to Elon, and then decided to come back to Rutgers. So adds another piece, somebody that knows the system. Um, he played a little bit toward the end of last season. But at the end of the day, a little more depth for the team and and an interesting story nonetheless. But the roster is now complete for what is the final season before the coveted 2024 class comes in. And that class could only get better, of course. So when you look at the Rutgers team this year, it's an interesting dynamic because you have Cam Spencer and Paul Mulcahy both moving on, leaving what you think would be a bit of a hole in the backcourt. And the only real question is, what can this team do together? Because there's pieces there. We saw Derek Simpson breakout last season as a freshman he's going to jump into the point guard role and then you got an interesting piece in the UMass transfer Noah Fernandez who's capable of scoring in many different ways good off the bounce Austin Williams comes in as a grad transfer another experienced piece and then freshman Michael Davis who I expect to play kind of that Derek Simpson role you know maybe get a few um, opportunities here and there you know if a player goes down then you know he could jump in as well but the backcourt is, is very interesting, and there's a lot of potential there. So despite Mulcahy and Spencer leaving, it's an interesting group. On the wings, obviously, Gavin Griffiths is the the coveted player, the four-star player coming in. He should jump into a starting role right away, and Rutgers are going to need him to produce. 
They're going to need him to score. They're going to need him to shoot the ball well. He's going to have to take over that Cam Spencer role. Maybe not as much scoring, obviously, just his freshman year, but he's got to be a double-digit scorer. You know, Griffiths has to score 10 points a game, in my opinion, if this Rutgers team is going to have any shot this season um, to get back to the NCAA tournament, which, again, they're going to have hopes of doing. Andre Hyatt is back, and they can get a Palmquist. And then the front court, Cliff O'Mori is an, an interesting piece, as always, because I want to see his development. I've been critical of his game in the sense of he's not – he doesn't have touch around the rim. You know, the, the soft touch around the rim is not there, and that's kind of hindered his game. We've seen reports this offseason of him working on, you know, a jump hook in the middle of the lane, trying to become a post scorer because that's what's really preventing him from, I think, advancing to the next level. If he had a, a, a post game or anything like that, a strong, solidified post game, consistent post game, he was a draft pick this year. Instead, I think he came back to Rutgers to work on some of the things that he needs to do in order to take that next level. I mean, he's got the athleticism. He's a good rebounder, good defender, can block shots. We obviously know what he could do dunking the basketball. So his athleticism jumps off the page. But he's got to be able to catch the ball in the post, turn and score with his back to the basket, and obviously improve his jump shot too if he's going to be successful at the next level you know as a as a six foot 11 player now you have to be able to shoot the mid-range shot and he's hit a couple threes he's taken a couple mid-range shots but it's not consistent enough for him to be trusted out there but at the end of the day this is a player that it's an all big 10 player he's a you know he's an all-american candidate he's expected to be one of the better centers in the country not just the big 10 so the sky's the limit for omori and for this Rutgers team if they can put all of the pieces together now of course the class of 2024 is what the team is going to be waiting for. You look at Ace Bailey already committed the number two player in the country, and he's spending a lot of time with Dylan Harper, you know, Don Bosco product, brother of Ron Harper Jr. The Rutgers lineage is there, and, and you're seeing a lot of reports now. Fans are starting to get excited because there's a lot of reports out there and predictions, crystal ball predictions that Harper is going to choose Rutgers. We don't know as of yet, and we don't know when the decision's coming. You know, it's interesting. He spoke after Peach Jam um, saying that he was going to wait until hit the high school basketball season, which is still a few months away. But, you know, social media presence, and he was looking for a video editor trying to make up a commitment video. So we don't know if that's in the works. We don't know if it's um, a video that's going to be waited on or if he's going to hold for a little bit. So we really don't know the plan yet. But what we do know is... Right now, Rutgers looks like one of the favorites, is one of the favorites, excuse me, looks like the favorite to land Harper. And it's interesting if he chooses to go with Rutgers over the likes of Duke, who right now looks like the team that is battling with Rutgers for Harper because of just the overall history at Duke, the money that they'd be able to pay him. But the the commitment of Bailey is something that would get Harper to Rutgers if possible. The two seem very close. They're seeing a lot together. They play a lot together. And over the summer, Bailey's even said that he's trying to recruit Harper to Rutgers. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on moving forward. And we all know that fans are going to be waiting for his commitment. They're either going to be over the moon or it's going to be a devastating day if he decides to go to Duke or somewhere else. It'd be a little surprising if he chose somewhere else. He, he narrowed down his five schools. You know, Indiana was in there. I believe Kansas was in there. It'd be a little surprising if he chose to go outside of Rutgers and Duke but still nothing set in stone yet but the the murmurs are are coming out it looks like Harper is trending toward Rutgers but at the end of the day nothing is solidified until we see the prediction 
So overall, there's a lot to be excited about in the future of Rutgers Athletics, and this is an important year for sports across the board, and we're going to dive into that as well with Scott Docterman of The Athletic during our interview. But before we get to Scott, we're going to take a short break. I am now joined by Scott Docterman of The Athletic, who recently released a piece along with Stuart Mandel for The Athletic about Rutgers and the new realignment in the Big Ten, obviously after the news of the new teams coming in. Scott, thank you for taking some time to talk to me about this. Yeah, thanks for having me, Greg. I really appreciate it. You know, first I want to start with the title. You know, it's obviously something that grabs right away, calling it, you know, the worst realignment move ever. Um, but I want to start with the idea of the article overall. When did this kind of come into play to go go a deep dive into Rutgers? Was it, you know, a few months back when the rumors of Oregon and Washington to the Big Ten kind of started? We actually had a series that started, uh, oh gosh, probably a month ago, maybe earlier than that. Um, so really it's been a, in the works for about three months of a series of realignment stories. And it had to deal with aspects way beyond Rutgers, way beyond the Big Ten, um, just across the country. Because at that point, realignment is the topic that everybody wants to talk about. Even if it's not happening, then you want to revisit it um, and see what's happened since the last realignment. So we had people talking about when, um, you know, the tech, the Texas schools, the death long war networks actually going out today. Um, and when we started to talk about the big 10 and in particular, and I know Stu kind of had the, the idea of, you know, revisiting some of the other ones and uh, Rutgers got brought up and we started to look at, the numbers from what Rutgers brought to the Big Ten and kind of weighing it out as far as, you know, TV sets in the, in the New Jersey, New York, the you know, the three-state area, uh, all the way up and down the eastern seaboard with, with Maryland versus the actual product on the field and then the financial issues that go on off the field. And in my case, I talked to Jim Delaney at ex- extensively um, for three-plus hours uh, to, to, to kind of revisit realignment from 1990, really when he became commissioner, all the way through uh, 2020. And I did mention to him that I'd like to talk to him about when Penn State came aboard with Nebraska and then the decisions on Maryland and Rutgers. And, you know, he was very uh, deep and detailed on all of them. I didn't realize the, the issues with Penn State and how difficult that was to get into the Big Ten. And then, uh, then he did approach... Uh, Rutgers and a couple of things that, you know, he had said that stood out to me was, uh, you know, I wasn't aware as much about the history of it being a private institution until what the 1950s before it became uh, a pub, the, the state university of New Jersey. And then, uh, you know, he said in one breath, they, they think they're Penn state in another breath, they think they're Bucknell. And, um, and then you look kind of historically, there is, when you, when you look at the Big Ten's expansions, there are, seems to be reasons, and the reasons for Rutgers wasn't competitive as much as, or at all, as much as it was um, financial. And, and so when we started to examine that and looking, uh, we did a separate story on Penn State, which we didn't plan on doing, one on Notre Dame, which we didn't plan on doing, and then one on Rutgers, which really kind of came about. Um, to speak of the headline, and I know that's what grabs everybody, and that's what's uh, you know turned uh, my <laughs> my Twitter timeline into a uh, cornfield, let's say after harvest. They use a an, you know a Midwestern type term. Uh, that uh, I'm part of a team at the Athletic, so I'm not going to uh, blame anybody or say anything. Um, I'm and I'm not going to just try to back off either. But I'm a reporter. I wrote 
sections of the of the story. Uh, our editing team decided to go with that headline, and um, it, it went in the New York Times, so it's a New York based situation. And um, I have to own it. I have to swallow it, and I'm here with you talking about it. Um, uh, I'm not going to get into my opinion on it, but. I'll just say that I, I handle a lot of the reporting, and I'm and I'm very much uh, I'm very capable of, of discussing the reporting aspect of this. Very comfortable with that part. And you know the timing of this too, because this isn't you know new surrounding Rutgers. It's kind of been the narrative over the years since they entered the Big Ten. You know, do they belong? Um, and obviously, football being the money maker that it is, they've yet to compete, and that's kind of what grabs people. Um, but when you look around the university. Um, they've had flashes of athletic success. Um, when you look at the women's soccer team, they made the college cup last year. Um, the men's soccer won a big 10 title baseball made a run, set a program record and wins. Is it, is it mostly surrounded by football? I would say like, when is that narrative kind of going to break for Rutgers? It kind of feels like when the football team really starts to compete. It's football. I mean, that's the reason why they realign. I mean, it, you know, even Delaney said, uh, he goes, people, uh, you know, people don't expand. So Nebraska can play UCLA and women's soccer. <laughs> and, and that's kind of the same case in this. It's all football based. I mean, basketball at one time, 30 years ago was close to equal with football revenue wise and prominence wise. It's not the case anymore. And, and so that's, it's all football based with, with Rutgers and, and I would say that there hasn't been a break for Rutgers in the right direction, but it could be trending that way at this point. And, and I'm not blowing smoke. I'm just I'm looking at it and evaluating it because I've covered this league for a long, long time. I mean, from the very beginning, when you had some scandals, you know, was, you know, the Mike Rice throwing basketballs at Julie right, right. Berman in the athletic department, uh, firing Tim Pernetti, who I think people had respect for. Um, and then you go into football where there was that three-year period where it was non-competitive. I think 15 straight Big Ten losses or uh, maybe it's more than that, 21 straight or something. And then they were by like a total of like 49 to 11 in average score. That really just galvanizes the whole anti-Rutgers sentiment. And and then you look at the, the Learfield Cup standings, and I think that's misleading personally, but um, you know, this year they were 126th, where Purdue was the next lowest at 72nd. Um, I think that there's some discussion there, but I do agree with you. And I have watched them baseball two years ago. Um, absolutely should have been in the tournament. No question. Yep, Talking to people in, in the Western part, Iowa specifically, they're like, why aren't they in there? Um, they need to be in there. Uh, and I, I actually talked to Jim Delaney. And I did write this part uh, when you look at Steve Peichel. I've got, I used to go home and away with basketball for eight or nine years in the Big Ten. The best coaching job I've ever seen because of what he was like with Eddie Jordan and how bad it was. I think there was like what, 28 straight losses in the Big Ten to be able to take the team to the NCAA tournament. This year to be on the cusp of it, on the border, really to the end of the season, but to be able to do it a couple of years. And the COVID year, they would have made it too. Um, I think it's, it speaks volumes because I, I remember Stony Brook and I saw him once coach and I'm like okay this guy's a good coach and to be able to do what he's doing and then of course you look at the rankings and that really vaults Rutgers into a um, a different level and and in, in talking to uh, you know basketball coaches in, in around the Big Ten that you know yeah the rack's small or I guess it's now what Jersey Mike's arena uh, is small but 
it's loud. It, it's an incredible home court environment. It's right there with everybody else. And if it was bigger and it had that same thing, it might be the best. And so there's a lot of things in that direction that are on an uptick. And, and, but really, as we know, you know, and where I live, I live in Iowa. So wrestling is a big deal and Rutgers does have a pretty good reputation there, mm-hmm. but, but where, uh, it all really starts and almost ends is football. And, um, that's where, you know, now with Greg Schiano entering year four, that's kind of where Pat Hobbs put almost all the chips in the table in our interview and uh, is what's going to happen with Pat with, with Greg Schiano. Now that his players, he's entering year four, um, it's a developmental program, which I see in the Western Division all the time. Now what? And I think that's probably, you know, what will change this narrative, um, whether it's a false narrative or it's accurate. I think it's probably open to interpretation. The numbers are the numbers. But uh, I think overall, that's where it's going to be, whether it's, oh, it wasn't so bad. You know, it just took time versus this is a terrible hire. This is a terrible move all the way around. We'll definitely get into Greg Schiano, um in a little bit, too, because uh, I thought the same thing with him entering his fourth year um, in his second stint. Um Back to the narrative a bit, though. When you look at Rutgers kind of being that outlier, it feels like they're a bit of an outlier in the Big Ten. Um, the body of work is a bit smaller than other teams, obviously, um, and they've yet to compete, which is obviously the that's the end all be all. You got to produce on the field. Um, recent history, though, when you look at different programs that are also taking a step back, um, you know, Northwestern, obviously, with everything they're going through, Indiana's been down a while. Um, Nebraska has a great history in the Big Ten, so it's hard to put them in that same category, but they've been down, hoping to get back up with the Matt Rule hire. Um, Mm. Why does it kind of remain Rutgers um, being that outlier in the Big Ten? Is it because they've never, other programs have seen that success Rutgers never has to this point? Yeah, that's the case. I mean, with Indiana, they're kind of grandfathered in in some ways. I mean, before the expansion era, you know, before, let's say before uh, Nebraska, they had the worst record out of any program in the Big Ten. Northwestern did even before that, but Northwestern has been to the Big Ten title game twice, has been, you know, ranked at the end of seasons and and, and has competed and it competed, you know, in the 2020 uh, Big Ten championship game against Ohio State was leading at halftime. And and so they're they've won big games against good teams and 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 Rutgers doesn't have that body of work. And then when you look at the the teams that have come into the Big Ten, as you mentioned, Nebraska, and of course where I live, there's a there's a, it's oil and water, <laughs> Nebraska, <laughs> Iowa. They they didn't know they hated each other until they actually joined the same league together. But uh, yeah, they're they have been the most disappointing team you could say in realignment because they were brought in to be uh, an impactful football power. It wasn't for any other reason. They have no uh, Rutgers. You can you, we can totally discuss the TV sets, the impact on BTN. Nebraska didn't have that. And Nebraska has never won an NCAA tournament game in basketball. Nebraska's other sports, they're other sports. You know, volleyball, they're great. And they're going to have the, uh, they're going to sell at the football stadium for a volleyball match. That's all fantastic. That has nothing to do with realignment. It's football and Nebraska has fallen short. And I think that's something that uh, has and will be continue to be brought up. But but I think with Rutgers, you, you know, compared to Nebraska's history, which they tell me about all the time, uh, five national titles and all that, um, that stands out by itself. You look at the four new ones on the West Coast, they all have a, a, a pretty strong athletic history and tradition. You look at Maryland, football so-so, the other sports are really strong, you know, in recent years. And then even in football, they've competed at times, they've been to bowl games. I just, I think when you look at, at Rutgers, 
you know, the 13 and 66 in Big Ten play, um, you know, from the the winning percentage against the East is 16.7. But, you know, even though, hey, we're going to get out of the Big Ten East, but the winning percentage against the West is even worse at 16% because there's no Indiana and Maryland. I mean, <laughs> you know, Purdue, Illinois, I mean, sometimes that's, those are teams actually Rutgers has done well against, but some of the others are pretty good too. So uh, 14 shutouts, um, four and 18 against the West, you know, so all of those things, it's, they haven't had a breakout season. They haven't had a season where they finished in the top 10, a, a new year's day bowl appearance, anything like that in, in the past that I think is why everybody is, most of the people have looked down on it. You know, the, the others, the other schools went from power conferences to the big 10 Rutgers took a step up and hasn't been able to produce. Now, again, when you're competing against Ohio state, Michigan and Penn state in football, and then crossing over and playing Wisconsin and Iowa and, and, and Nebraska is Nebraska's five and zero against Rutgers um, each and every year, Michigan state, that's not easy. And it takes a lot to get to, a competitive level, let alone a good level. Uh, certainly Steve Peichel has done it in basketball and, and almost a miracle worker, but, but football is the one that drives. And until Rutgers can get over the, over the top, and that very well could be this year to a seven and five type of year where, okay, they made a bowl legitimately. They are a, a team that's competing and then take another step forward and maybe be a, a nine win team. Then you can kind of, erase that past dull it down to where yeah but they're good now don't worry about the past it's just they haven't reached that moment yet we're talking with scott doctorman of the athletic you mentioned before too the the um, jersey mike's arena you know which all fans will still call the rack and when you talk about the debt that Rutgers is in the athletic department um it was an interesting section about kind of the size of the arenas um, whether it be football or men's basketball, because I've thought the same thing. As great as as the crowd, as the atmosphere is in basketball, when you sell out a game, they only got about 8,000 people in the stands. Um, there are plans to renovate and make some some improvements to it, but how big of a of an impact is that as well? Even in football, about, I believe SHI holds about 51,000 um, on a sellout. How much does that make of an impact when you look at the overall debt for Rutgers? Is there a chance if the, the stadiums were a little bit bigger, if the atmosphere was better, for that to make a big difference? I think so. I, I think what would probably make the biggest difference would be um, add more premium seating. And that's what other, other schools have, you know, whether it's, you know, 40, 50, 100 skyboxes and you can bring in your key donors and then they can spend, you know, $100,000 a year on a skybox or a basketball, uh, whether it's courtside or it's luxury suite seating, club suite seating, things like that. I think that's the next step for Rutgers. And that's, that's something that Pat Hobbs brought up that, uh, you know, at the rack or I mean, I'm sorry, Jersey Mike's arena, that there's, there's just not that opportunity. And he did bring up the fact that they have the lowest premium seating in the big 10 and, and being at Rutgers last year for football um, there, it, it is behind as a stadium. Now it was a pretty good crowd. I thought last year um, attendance was really strong at Rutgers football. Uh, that the game I attended, which was Iowa Penn state, I know set a record. I think Nebraska was on a Friday night. You could hear it on TV. So those things have really, ma- uh, really escalated. It's just the next step is uh, getting elevators to the press box. So, <laughs> cause there, there was a guy who almost died, you know, had a heart attack in the press box after the game, uh, you know, and then, you know, having 
you know, don you know, donor seating, you know, just stuff like that that can really be enhanced in a luxury way. That's really what takes you to the next level financially. It could probably double their um, their you know uh, ticket sales in some ways, just financially, not not from the sure numbers, but then it could kind of elevate it to that next step. It's just right now, Rutgers has operated from a deficit even coming into the league. And then to try to get itself to compete with everybody else, it's just continued to climb into a bigger, bigger, bigger deficit that's made it worse financially until it can reach a level where the, the you know, because the media rights are going to be good. We know that. Um, but it's the, the, the premium seating and stuff that really kind of masks that. And at some point, you gotta, you got to even yourself out to where you're in the middle of the Big Ten because the Big Ten's middle class is what separates it. In some ways, um, if you didn't have a competitive Wisconsin, Michigan State, Iowa, and some of the other programs, then that's that's probably where Rutgers should strive for. Simply because I think they're very competitive year in and year out. In most sports, they they make enough money to where they're in good shape. And then, but you look at their premium areas versus what Rutgers has; it's it's a sizable difference. And, you know, the debt coming into the Big Ten, obviously the move is a no-brainer for them. Um, there's a lot of um, positive aspects that a lot of people don't see, the average fan won't see. Um, and there was a line in the article about there being a 400% um, network revenue when Rutgers and Maryland were added, obviously adding that section of um, New York and New Jersey, that market. At what point does that wear off if it hasn't already? Um, when you look at Rutgers being there for 10 years, especially with the new media rights deal, also mm-hmm. kind of um, – you know, you mentioned Rutgers coming in with some debt. When you look at what you'll be making in the Big Ten compared to, obviously, the Big East and the American and the overall debt and deficit that you're in for Rutgers. Well, I think when you talk about wearing it off, um, it, it's still an important part of what the Big Ten has because it has, you know, especially with BTN to be able to have penetration in the in you know the Eastern Seaboard, you know, from Southern or from Northern Virginia all the way up to Southern Connecticut, you are able to be in, you know, first tier status. Now cable cord cutting is going to be a real situation out there. So it is, does lessen the impact to some extent, but um, you know, what Delaney, you know, his, it's told me, and then of course told me yesterday when we, after he read it, uh, you know, is, Hey, look, this is a, uh, this is a long-term play. We're at, we've got access to that network and, Half the alums in the Big Ten in that area are Maryland Rutgers. The other half are everybody else. And now it brings those alums into those places and, and elevates it. I think that's really important. And then when you look at Rutgers, I mean, this is a huge life raft to get to the Big Ten as opposed to, you know, maybe the debt would be smaller in the AAC or even the ACC. But uh, the revenue kind of, you know, makes it where you feel like you got to compete and then there's sp- everybody's spending really real money and then you're chasing the real money and then you're getting farther and farther in debt. I think what, you know, one, one issue that our one topic that I really addressed was that the amount of money getting from the state, from direct university, from student fees, that's something that most big 10 universities have sworn off or been forced off for a lot of years. Like Illinois has a fairly high amount, but it's also, um, it's tied to the stadium, Memorial stadium, where it's, it's like student fees go directly to maintenance of Memorial stadium, which is a hundred years old. So that's really the only area there, but with Rutgers, it goes to, to every aspect. And, and I think look at, what 
why year four is so critical for Greg Schiano is now it has a chance to spring forward. It's not going to erase these shortfalls and this, these deficits and these, uh, and you know, overnight, but it's something that could eventually kind of smooth over some of this. And, you know, the big 10 getting that market in New York and New Jersey, um, you know, kind of a follow up on the previous question at the end of the day, when you look at that new media rights deal, is that still a huge selling point or is it, um, you know, USC and UCLA coming over from LA? Um, the teams are up obviously more than Rutgers on the field. So is that kind of the biggest play um, being the newcomers into the Big Ten or is there still a little factor of Rutgers being in that New York, New Jersey market? It's slight. Um, it, w- it was more important back in 2016 with that negotiation, but it was more so for BTN than it was for the overall Fox, ESPN at that point, or now Fox, NBC, CBS part of it, because uh, BTN was where they really needed to get in there, uh, you know, because it did get maximum exposure for their Lego network. Now Fox owns 61% of it, so it's more for Fox than it is for, for, B- for the Big Ten at all. Um, so it is, it's still an important component, you know, but with cord cutting, it's probably going to lessen in its importance. But USC and UCLA getting the LA market and USC is a dominant force in LA, um, UCLA to a lesser extent. I kind of look at them in some ways as the Maryland of uh, LA, you know, so kind of, you know, still a name, still, you know, great in every other sport, football, so-so, and the interest is waning. But uh, USC is a dominant force in that market. So I think that, that those two in particular are ones that I think everybody is most excited for and really helped elevate this recent uh, media rights deal. Um, whereas in 2016, it was getting Fox and then extra penetration for PTN, which was really the, the Maryland Rutgers component. Give basketball a little love here. We talked about um, Steve Peichel and the job he's done, obviously, and um, the the feeling around Steve Peichel in Piscataway is incredible, as you can imagine. Um, one of the factors you do see when Rutgers comes to the Big Ten is obviously recruiting. Um, that's got to have to take a step up to be able to compete, and Steve Peichel's really doing that, especially in the class of 2024. Um, right. They're currently ranked second nationally. Ace Bailey's already committed, and they're hard at work trying to get Dylan Harper um, to come. And if he commits, you get the top two players. Rutgers will jump North Carolina, be the top team. Um, so there seems to be that kind of aspect working. And Greg Schiano um, has recruited Jersey well. He's also recruited Florida well. So he seems to kind of be doing a lot along the East Coast as well. Um, the impact of recruiting in the Big Ten obviously is something that has to be taken to the next level as well when Rutgers makes that jump. Well, basketball, of course. I mean, you know, for you know, first of all, watching the way that they've played the last three to four years, and guys like Ron Harper, and 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 just it's really been exciting. And you know, they play a great brand of basketball. They fit right in. Peichel has, has coached them as well as anybody. And then now to to, to go and get you know a five star, a high four star, to have the potential to get another one, to be number two nationally, um, that that shows that there is such a uh, that Rutgers is, is available. And I think the one thing that was interesting with bringing in Rutgers, as opposed to even Penn State to some extent in basketball, is, you know, there's such a, you know, the Big East component. Will players go to Rutgers versus Villanova, even Seton Hall, St. John's, that whole area? And it's proven that this is the case, which you get the good coach, that they'll come. And, and with Shiano, I think what it's proving is that, 
you know, they're what in the forties, usually late high, high thirties, low forties in yep. recruiting. That's not a bad spot. Um, as a developmental program, as long as you can, you're probably not going to keep the five stars in state. Maybe you'll get one, you know, but Penn state's going to come in Ohio state, you know, whatever. That's okay. You'll live with that. Um, but if you can keep, you know, Illinois has the same issue. If you can keep a third to a half of your upper tier prospects in the state, then, then you're doing all right. And then you can go and supplement them in, in other locations, Florida being a, a prime area, for, especially for the Eastern Seaboard. Um, and, and I think he's doing that. He's doing it in the right way. Uh, you know, watching them under Shiano versus previous editions, you know that they're going to fight. You know, they're really tough. They're hard. You know, the defense plays hard. Um, they lack playmakers, you know, although, you know, Pacheco a few years ago was really good. And, and the, uh, and oh, about five or six or seven or eight years ago now, you know, they had that really good return guy, um, who got hurt. Um, anyway, I, I digress, but you know, the, it's just, you know, quarterbacks was an issue as we saw. Um, so I think it's really more about just continuing to fill in those gaps, building depth, keeping the players there who you know, are there because you don't want to lose a lot in the portal. And I don't think they gained a ton in the portal this year. So uh, if he can, you know, recruit at a, you know, now with 18 teams, if he can recruit somewhere between eight and 14, I know it sounds like a weird stretch, but then they're, you know, as a developmental program that's self-aware and understands what it is, that's perfect. You keep your guys at home, then the ones you really want, the tough guys. So maybe they're three stars, but in year five, they're going to go out and kick somebody's ass because they're, they're from New Jersey and that's the way they feel. That, that's exactly what you want. That's what, you know, in Iowa, they get the small farm town kids who are three stars who take some three years just to see the field. But by year five, they're going to help the guys. That, that's what everybody wants. That's what builds your program. And I think Shiano does a good job of that. But then you got to supplement it with the playmakers, the quarterback who can make plays and not complete 49% of your passes, <laughs> you know, and a running back, you know, you know, and a couple of defenders who really get after it. And, and I, I saw Rutgers firsthand. I did the pinstripe bowl in 2011 when uh, I think, I can't remember Flood. Flood might have been there by then. I think he, uh, Greg went to Tampa Bay, and I saw him beat uh, Iowa and Muhammad Sanu, and, and you know they had some really good players. So I, I think that the potential's there. It's just about doing it, and that's really going to be the, the challenge for Rutgers in the future. Yeah, the quarterback position's really been it. Um, even this year, you know they're hopeful about Samuel Brown in the backfield. The defense should be solid, um, but at the end of the day, you need a quarterback to produce. So that's what they're they're looking for at Gavin Wimsat. Um, we've spoken about Greg Schiano a bit here too. Um, you believe he's the guy, he's the right guy to turn this Rutgers program around. Um, it might be a little early to ask that question. We mentioned going into the fourth year and then this year and beyond kind of four, year four, five, six, that's where you really try to see that improvement. Um, this was obviously a, a hire that brought great excitement for what he did the first time around in Piscataway when they were in the big East. Um, but it's year four. Now you got to see a little bit of improvement, especially after last year where offensively they were near the bottom um, in the Big Ten, obviously, but even nationally across the board. Yeah, it was uh, it, it, the game I saw Iowa and Rutgers. It was like which team doesn't want to score offensively, but uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, so I, I mean, I think really it comes down to you, you've got to take steps, and you know, going from three and six his first year um, in, in, the, in the COVID year you know, beating Michigan state in the opener. I'm like, okay, wow, this is a really great move. And they were competitive in some games too. And then two and seven and last year kind of falling back at one and eight. 
I think this is that year, this year and next year are the really pivotal years for him. Uh, just to make sure that people are still on board, that they haven't thought, oh, okay, he was good in this last era. I think he's the right coach. I do for taking the next step. Is he the type of coach that's going to win you a Big Ten title or get you to the playoff? I don't know. That's and it, it's a really tough league because you know there are a lot of you're going to be a lot of good teams who aren't going to be able to do that even with great coaches. But if he can get the Rutgers to a consistent bowl level, I think he can because I look at um, let's take the East Division right now. Uh, for instance, I mean, Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan are by themselves. Let's not c- compare them. Yeah. But I think if you take the other four at, from simply a coaching perspective, I put him at the top. I mean, Mel Tucker had a great year and then he's had other years, you know, where I, I, I'm not convinced he's going to be this elite guy. Tom Allen had one good year during the COVID year and then that's been it. You know, uh, Maryland, Mike Loxley is recruited at an elite level. But what, winning seven games? Okay, that's nice. But what? what's the next step? I look at, at, at Greg and I think, okay, this is uh, – it's there for the taking to move up into that middle area. It's just you've got to take it. Now, so I believe he's the right guy for that. He's done it before at a you know high level in the Big East, and now I think he's capable of taking it to the mid-pack of the Big Ten. It's just about, about doing it and getting in those games against comparable-level teams – and be able to execute in the fourth quarter and, and, and winning close games. And uh, that's where quarterback comes in and, and playmakers. Awesome, Scott. I appreciate you taking some time to talk to me today about the topic. And, you know, if you're like me, if anybody's like me out there, they're going to be looking forward to football starting in a couple of weeks to talk about games on the field rather than the business aspect of it. No question. <laughs> uh, I'm really, I really am excited for, you know, the last year of the 14 team big 10. And uh, I, I, I know looking at kind of my projections, I think, you know, Rutgers has a really strong chance at a, you know, six and six type of season. And I think that first game is going to tell us a lot. Um, you know, I expect North, Rutgers to, to beat Northwestern decisively, you know, but uh, anyway, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to football. I can't wait. Absolutely. Scott Docterman of The Athletic. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you again to Scott Docterman of The Athletic for taking some time to talk to us today about his piece in The Athletic this kind of fits into the topic and the age-old question that people have been asking for you know about a decade now does Rutgers belong in the Big Ten and the answer to that is not a simple yes or no right there's many sports around athletic programs around the country obviously football being king and the short answer with football the answer has been for 10 years now no You know, Rutgers football does not look like it belongs in the Big Ten. But again, it's not as simple as that. Because when you look at different programs, you know, how many teams can necessarily win a national title? You know, that if that's the standard, it's a tough one to put yourself up to. And the Big Ten has two programs now that year in and year out are going to contend for a national title with Ohio State and Michigan basically the winner of the Big Ten, the winner of that rivalry week matchup between those two is going to have a chance. Last year, both teams got in. Two of the four playoff teams were from the Big Ten. So it's a great conference. Rutgers certainly got in at the right time before all of this started, you know, just years after they were able to to jump from their previous conference into the Big Ten. But the answer is yes. The Rutgers has had success in other programs. It's hard to just base it off of football. Obviously, that's the moneymaker. That's what everybody looks at from the start. But Rutgers has had success in men's and women's soccer, 
the men's team winning the Big Ten tournament last year, the women's team a couple years ago going deep into the Big Ten tournament and then making a run to the College Cup, you know, the Final Four in the national tournament. Then you look at baseball setting a program record in 2022 and, you know, making a run again, losing to the to Michigan, I believe, in the Big Ten championship. The basketball program's on the rise. Lacrosse is solid. Wrestling is rock solid. So there's there's just success around the school. Field hockey plays a really tough schedule, and they're competitive nationally. There's a lot to be happy about with Rutgers Athletics. But again, the football team has just not been able to live up to that standard, live up to success in the Big Ten. So that obviously draws a lot of eyeballs. When you look at Rutgers, they're always linked to Maryland because they were able to come into the Big Ten together. Maryland has had success on the national level in other sports as well, and their football team is beginning to gain a little steam. But the question is, after this year, where are they going to go? And by gain a little steam, I mean they're competitive. You know, they're winning a few games, but they're still not going to go beat Ohio State. They're still not going to beat Michigan. You know, Penn State's going to be tough this year. They're not going to go beat Penn State. So it's hard to compare the situations. Now, the other thing and and we'll discuss this with Scott as well. Rutgers is in major debt and that comes from you know just different areas from their move to the Big 10. And there's a lot of factors you could discuss there. It's attendance when you look at the the stadiums that need to be improved, need to have um renderings changed for Rutgers. You know, SHI Stadium holds just over 50,000, I believe close to 51,000. Jersey Mike's Arena holds about 8,000 people. And while that's one of the best home environments in the country, nobody could deny that. If you do, you're just you're not watching Rutgers basketball. It's one of the best in the Big Ten, and it's getting respect nationally as a home court advantage. They just don't get a lot of people in the building because even sellouts, you're only getting 8,000 people or so. So they, there needs to be changes there because fans will come out to basketball games, especially when looking at the class of 2024 for Rutgers. There's going to be plenty of attendance, plenty of people wanting to get in the building. So that's a factor. Then you look at their move. They used to be in the Big Big East. Did the move to the Big Ten make sense? Always. You always want to improve. You always want to go into that bigger conference, play against the other best teams. But when you look at the money they were making in the Big East compared to what they're making in the Big Ten, you look at the overall debt. Is the difference enough to make up for some of that debt? Apparently not. You know, It hasn't been able to. So there's definitely issues that they need to to take a hold of there. But when you look at the, the performance of the teams on the field, it's hard to say that they don't belong in the Big Ten. And in football, it just takes that much longer to improve. And there's many people out there saying, well, they've been in there since 2014. They're going on a decade in the conference. How long does it take? Well, that's how long it takes when you're going up against national programs such as Ohio State, such as Michigan. Even Penn State continues to improve teams that are going to get those national recruits, the best players in the country. Ruck, those aren't those players aren't going to Rutgers. So it's going to take Greg Schiano time. But the problem is we can't see the team take a step back like it did last year. We can't see the offensive production that we saw last year. You know, it's time to start winning some games. It's time to start competing in some games. That's really where the basketball program took its turn. When you look at the basketball team, when they first entered the Big Ten, they were a mess. You hire Steve Peichel, makes an immediate impact. You know, you win a couple games. You beat Seton Hall. You were able to 
improve show that you could play in the Big Ten. You get a recruiting class. You get your core guys, you know, the Ron Harpers, Geo Bakers, guys like that, that could take this team to the next level. And then you go and you beat a Purdue back-to-back years, a team that's number one in the country. You know, you have success against Indiana, who's been on a national level. Different games like that and different showings like that is what is taking Rutgers basketball to the next level. Now, they're still not perfect. You know, they got shafted a bit last year. I think they should have been in the NCAA tournament. But again, they played a weak non-conference schedule. So you lose a game or two here and there in the non-conference. That's a that's a weak slate. And then even if you win 10, 11 games in the Big Ten, it's just not enough. So really, you have to play across 30 games. You have to play a tough schedule. And that's something that'll come. And with Ace Bailey coming, who's the number two player in the country, there's great hype there. They're saying Dylan Harper... You know, Rutgers might be the favorite to land Dylan Harper, who's the top player in the country. So then all of a sudden, you look at the 2024 rankings. The top two players in the country have Scarlet R's next to their name. That's something that you've never seen before from Rutgers. So the work that, that Steve Peichel has done within the basketball program cannot be overlooked. Now, the question is, when is that going to happen for the football team? And the answer is when they start showing a little signs of life. And that's why fans are excited for this year, because they named Gavin Wimsat the starter, which we'll get into in a little bit. They brought on a new staff, Kirk Soraka, to be the offensive coordinator. Dave Brock's going to coach the receivers. He has experience in the NFL. Just guys that have been around, they know what they're doing, they have experience at all levels. So if Rutgers could go win six games, make a bowl, and then the next year you make another bowl, that's when players are going to start to want to come and play in the Big Ten at a school like Rutgers because they show some signs of life. Is Greg Schiano the, the coach to do it? He looks like it. Fans want to believe he is because of the first go-around and the success he had in the Big East. But the the answer to that is to be determined, to be honest. You know, it's once he starts fully getting in the swing. This is going to be his fourth year back, so he's getting all of his guys now. He's getting his staff. He's got his quarterback that he recruited. So this will be the year that if Rutgers is going to take a step, it has to happen, and it has to show players whether it be in the transfer portal or coming out of high school, that Rutgers is a program that deserves respect. And that's when the national media, that's when everybody is going to start believing in this team that they can truly compete in one of the best conferences in the country. That's all we have for you today here on the Banks of the Raritan podcast. If you have anything you want to write in about, any questions, any concerns, any thoughts, feel free to send them over, anything you want to hear discussed. Or if you would like to come on the show as well, we always welcome different voices, different opinions here to discuss Rutgers Athletics. There will be guests on each week um, to discuss different things around the sports program, whether it be previews, recaps, breaking down certain games, big ticket decisions. We will have a lot going on moving forward. But if you feel like you'd be an asset and you want to come on and, and discuss some Rutgers sports, feel free. We would love to have you on. We would love to hear from you as well to send over any messages. This is something we're all in together and it's it, it's exciting. Everybody I know will be excited with football coming back. The best time of the year is upon us and that should be, it's like Christmas. It's like a Christmas feeling when college football comes back, the NFL right around it, and people get to see Rutgers back on the field for another season and what they hope will be taking a step forward maybe into a bowl game so until next time everybody enjoy the next two weeks until football kicks off three weeks until Rutgers kicks off but two weeks until we get some football back on the television screen so until next time everyone enjoy their day